This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehia Suhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... He was killed in his home, in the presence of his wife and kids. Very, very tragic indeed. Which is well known. Uh, no secret that he has been on the list of the people that the state has been after for a long time. That's Zimbabwean academic Ibo Mandaza on the killing of prominent human rights lawyer Tulani Maseko in Iswatini's capital. Details coming up. Also, the U.S. Treasury Department has designated Russia's Wagner Group as a significant transnational criminal organization. And Burkina Faso says it's asking France to pull its troops out within a month. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. Here's our top story. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is in Zambia to highlight joint efforts to improve global health and meet with President Akainde Hichelema. Kathy Short reports from Lusaka, Zambia. A day after her arrival in Zambia, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen inaugurated the newly built U.S.-funded Zambia National Public Health Institute. The institute was established to help Zambia prevent transmission of deadly diseases like COVID-19, monitor threats to public health, and effectively respond to any outbreaks. Yellen said health security has been a key pillar of the partnership between Zambia and the United States over the past two decades. It's important to sustainably finance public health institutions, she said, as the cost of preparedness is lower than the cost of responding to an outbreak once it starts. Yellen said the United States remains committed to improving regional and global health security through its 450 million US dollar contribution to the newly launched pandemic fund. Let me say how much we value our partnership, how important it is for the health of uh, individual African countries, Africa as a whole, and beyond that, the global global health situation. Um, we've had a long partnership, and I think it's been a productive one. It's important for it to continue. Earlier on Monday, Yellen visited Milan Laboratories Distribution Center in Lusaka. Milan Laboratory is a U.S. firm that employs 75 workers in Zambia helping to distribute anti-malarial and anti-retroviral treatments. While Yellen visited the facilities Monday, Africa Centers for Disease Control Director Ahmed Ogwell Omar put out a live virtual message to the visiting secretary commending the U.S. government for its massive investment in global health. Omar emphasized the need for the local manufacturing of drugs to deal with health challenges in Africa. Local production is very key to um, the health security of the continent and by extension for the whole uh, globe. And um, investing in uh, well-selected uh, manufacturing facilities for different health products from diagnostics, therapeutics to vaccines is really, really important for the way in which we are going to be handling the next 
round of outbreaks and God forbid another pandemic. Yellen also expressed confidence that Zambia's debt restructuring process will be concluded soon, adding that this is in the interest of creditors as well as Zambia faces a delay in the process. This follows the International Monetary Fund's approval of a 1.3 billion US dollar bailout last August aimed at kickstarting the country's ailing economy and restructuring its debt. Zambia's total public debt to foreign and local lenders was just shy of 27 billion US dollars at the end of June 2022, according to the Ministry of Finance. Zambia's foreign debt is spread across diverse regions with 6 billion US dollars owed to China and the rest owed to various banks, nations and multilateral institutions. Meanwhile, Yellen also said she's happy with the Zambian president's efforts to address corruption. While in Zambia, she will hold bilateral talks with Hichilema and his ministers as well as business leaders and civil society. During her trip, Yellen is highlighting the Biden administration's efforts to deepen U.S.-Africa economic ties, including steps to expand trade and investment for sustainable and inclusive economic growth. This follows the United States-Africa Leaders Summit held last month in Washington, where President Joe Biden announced over 15 billion U.S. dollars in two-way trade and investment commitments. Yellen will remain in Zambia until Tuesday when she leaves for South Africa. Kathy Short for VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia. The French news agency AFP says Burkina Faso has confirmed it is asking France to pull its troops out of the country within a month. Government spokesman Jean-Emmanuel Uderego told Radio Television Burkina that the government was terminating an agreement allowing France's 400 special forces into the country to help fight an Islamic insurgency. But he added, quote, this is not the end of diplomatic relations between Burkina Faso and France. French President Emmanuel Macron asked Ouagadougou yesterday to confirm the order, which was leaked in a letter last week. Tensions have been deteriorating between the two countries for months as Burkina's military government, like the one in neighboring Mali, has turned to Russia for support. The leader of Burkina's military junta, Ibrahim Traore, took power in September. It followed an earlier coup eight months earlier that ousted elected president Rock Mark Christian Kabore. South Africa has defended its warm relations and joint military drills with Russia as it hosts Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on his first visit since the invasion of Ukraine. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. Lavrov said he appreciated South Africa's neutral stance since the war started one year ago and placed the blame for the continuing conflict squarely on the Ukraine and the West. It is well known that uh, we supported the proposal of Ukrainian uh, side to negotiate early in the, uh, in the uh, special military operation. It is well known, it was published uh, openly that uh, our uh, American and British and some European colleagues told Ukraine that it is too early to deal. Russia has repeatedly rejected Ukrainian and Western demands that it withdraw its forces completely from Ukraine as a condition for any negotiations. 
Lavrov also denied Moscow is targeting civilians, despite numerous attacks on residential buildings in Ukraine that experts say likely add up to war crimes. South African Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Naledi Pandor, reiterated Pretoria would like to see a diplomatic solution through dialogue. I mention on behalf of South Africa our sincere wish that the conflict currently between Russia and Ukraine will soon be brought to a peaceful end through diplomacy and negotiation. However, she defended South Africa's right to maintain bilateral relations with whichever countries at once and not be dictated to by the West. South Africa is hosting the Russian and Chinese navies for February exercises off Durban. Pandor noted all countries conduct military exercises with friends. Defence Ministry spokesman Cornelius Monama said Monday that the drills would strengthen the strong bonds between the countries. Contrary to the assertions by our critics, South Africa is not abandoning its neutral position on the Russian-Ukraine conflict. The main opposition Democratic Alliance has called for the drills to be called off and Ukraine's ambassador to South Africa, Lubav Abravitova, told VOA recently that she didn't understand why South Africa was conducting exercises with, quote, the army of rapists and murderers. Stephen Grust, a Russia expert at the South African Institute for International Affairs, said Lavrov had clearly found some sympathy from Pandora and he expects to see greater cooperation between the two BRICS allies going forward. I think it's interesting to read the body language between ministers Lavrov and Pandor, the, the Russian and South African foreign ministers. It was quite warm from the press conference, and there is a genuine meeting of minds between the countries. But Grust said South Africa's hosting naval exercises with Russia could affect its standing on the international stage. He added that it will be interesting to see the chemistry between Pandor and U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who arrives in South Africa late Tuesday for a visit. Despite pressure from the U.S., Pretoria has refused to join Washington in condemning Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. South Africa also invited Russian President Vladimir Putin to visit later this year for the summit of the BRICS Group of Emerging Economies, though it's not yet clear if he will attend. The BRICS group is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. The advocacy group Human Rights Watch is urging Chad's transitional government to end its crackdown on opponents and address human rights violations committed against protesters in October. Authorities say 50 people were killed, including... 15 police officers and 300 injured during protests against the military government's decision to extend the transition to military rule by two years. Human rights groups say the figure could be much higher. Activists say the police used live ammunition against protesters armed with slingshots and stones. Over 400 people were arrested and tried for arson, destroying public property and holding an unauthorized gathering. Up to 200 still face trials. Many say they were tortured in detention. One of Southern Africa's most prominent human rights lawyer was killed in Mbamben, the capital of Iswatini, formerly known as Swaziland. 
Tulani Masiko was chairperson of the Multi-Stakeholder Forum, which has been calling for Africa's last absolute monarchy to become a democracy. The Iswatini government says Masiko was shot dead Saturday night by unknown criminals. But as Darren Taylor reports, many in Southern Africa are blaming the government for the apparent assassination. Maseko was killed just hours after King Mswati III suggested during a speech to army regiments that mercenaries would deal with those wanting democracy. The 52-year-old lawyer certainly was one of those, raising his voice since he was a student against government abuses and the king's absolute power. Maseko was a key mover behind the Swazi Multi-Stakeholder Forum, a collection of political organizations and civil society groups demanding democracy. Zimbabwean academic Ibo Mandaza knew Maseko and has been in contact with people close to the slain lawyer's family. He was killed in his home, in the presence of his wife and kids. Very, very tragic indeed. It is well known, uh, no secret that he has been on the list of the people that the state has been after for a long time. But as Swatini government spokesperson Alpheus Ngomalo disassociated the state from what he called a heinous act. The government of the Kingdom of Eswatini takes every life very seriously, including the life of Tulane Masego. He has never been at any given point a person of special interest to the state because Tulane believed in engagement, he believed in negotiations, He believed in resolving national political matters through dialogue. But in 2014, the state charged Maseko after he criticized the judiciary. He was found guilty of contempt of court and sentenced to two years in prison. When he was released, the lawyer continued his activism, launching a court bid in 2018 to try to prevent the king from changing the country's name. Maseko argued the cost involved should be used to improve the lives of the poor. King Mswati ignored the court process and changed the name anyway. Mandaza says in this context, and given the growing threat that Maseko's pro-democracy alliance posed to the monarchy and its government, it's logical to link the state to the killing. There is evidence that the hitmen were state-related. And the reference by some, including uh, witnesses who escaped into South Africa from Eswatini overnight, we have to conclude the obvious, that Tulani is a victim of the horrid politics that characterize some of our societies in South Africa. Nkomalo insists the state won't rest until the killers are brought to book. But Maseko's friend and colleague, advocate Sibosiso Nklabatsi, describes the Swazi security forces as tools of the king and his government. It seems to me that the priorities of the police are yet shifted. In the main, they are focusing on the political unrest in Swaziland instead of focusing in combating crime. It does not seem to me that government will use any of its resources to pursue this investigation. Mandaza says the killing of Maseko puts pressure on Eswatini's nearest neighbor, South Africa, the Southern African Development Community and the African Union to intervene. I think it illustrates 
we have in our midst, in our region, two societies in particular in which any opposition, opposition movements are regarded as enemies. And what's happening in Eswatini is yet another administration, uh, the kind of stuff that we also see in Zimbabwe. Nklabatsi says if the government and the king think that Maseko's death is going to stop or even slow demands for democratic reform, they're very wrong. Rather, he says, activists will use his friend's martyrdom to strengthen their resolve. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiya Suhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. The U.S. Treasury Department has designated the Wagner Group, a Russian private military company, as a significant transnational criminal organization and imposed additional sanctions on the group. The group has been aiding Russia's military and in its, going in, in, in its ongoing invasion of Ukraine and bolstering Moscow's efforts to grow its presence in Africa and elsewhere. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said Wagner poses a transcontinental threat with an ongoing pattern of serious criminal activity. The White House has increasingly expressed alarm about Wagner's growing involvement in the Ukraine war. The Kremlin said today that the designation of Wagner as a transnational criminal organization is unlikely to affect Russia or the group itself. Cameroonian journalists are calling for an independent investigation of, after a popular radio reporter, Martinez Zogo, was found dead in the capital Yaoundé. Zogo was abducted last week after saying he could be killed for doing an investigation into corruption cases among government officials. Moki Edwin Kenzeka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. <laughs> Et Zongo est mort, brûlé par le feu. Que justice soit faite pour l'amour de Dieu. This music, titled Journalist in Danger by Burkina Faso artist Alpha Blondie, is played repeatedly on several radio stations in Yaoundé and Douala, the Central African State's economic hub. Blondie released the album after the December 13, 1998 assassination of Nobel Zongu, a Burkina Bay investigative reporter. Today, the song's message resonates in Cameroon as radio stations broadcast the music in memory of Martinez Zogu, a popular radio host. Zogu's mutilated body was found Sunday in Sua, a neighborhood near the capital, five days after he was abducted by unidentified Icelands. Almost all media organizations in Cameroon on Monday condemned the killing of Zogu, who they describe as a whistleblower and courageous reporter fighting graft and the mismanagement of state funds. 
Patrick Moore, a reporter with the Garden Post newspaper, says he is sure Zogu was killed by people he had accused of stealing state funds. It's rather unfortunate that journalists have become targets, especially by politicians and, and people who think that journalists should not exercise their duties as they're supposed to do. They expect that journalists should operate according to their whims. Zogo was director of Amplitude FM, a private radio station in the capital, and ran a daily French language program that examined social issues and held discussions on topics such as good governance. Zogo said he had documents to prove that some senior state functionaries have stolen several million dollars from state coffers since 2013. Zogo said he had forwarded proof of what he called a high wave of embezzlement and corruption involving a local media organization to Cameroon's president, Paul Bia. He said he was receiving death threats daily. Vous allez seulement me tuer. Vous n'avez qu'une seule chose à faire, c'est de finir avec moi. In this audio excerpt from his program two weeks ago, Zogo says he has information that some people involved in corruption want to kill him. He says he is ready to die, but that his killers will not live forever. Zogo says corruption is rife and Cameroon's president Paul Bia is not doing much to punish officials who take money that belongs to the people. VOA could not independently verify if Zogo sent documents on alleged corruption to President Bia through officials of Cameroon's Ministry of Justice, as he said during his radio program. Cameroonian journalist and activist Jean Bruno Tanyi says the killing of Zogo indicates that the press is under threat in Cameroon. He says Zogo's killing has confirmed to the world that Cameroon is a brutal state managed by people who operate as mafia groups. He says Zogo was wrong to think that the government would protect him, support his fight for corrupt officials to face justice and restore funds stolen from Cameroon's public treasury. Tanyi says rights groups and journalism associations call for an independent investigation to find Zogo's killers. Cameroon's journalist trade union called on reporters to be careful but encouraged them to continue coverage of corruption and shed light on undemocratic practices they say are becoming rampant. In a press release Monday, Cameroon government spokesperson René Emmanuel Sadi said early investigations indicate Zogo was tortured by his killers. Sadi said an autopsy and investigation are ongoing to trace the perpetrators. Sadi describes the killing as barbaric, unacceptable, and despicable. Cameroonian journalists say that media freedoms are threatened under country's authoritarian rule. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé.
It's been 20 years since efforts to prevent the transmission of HIV-AIDS from mother to baby during pregnancy and birth began in a big way in sub-Saharan Africa. But about 130,000 babies are still becoming infected each year because of logistical problems like drug shortages or the stigma attached to AIDS that makes women reluctant to seek tests or treatment. Anurita Baines, global head of HIV-AIDS program for the UN Children's Agency, UNICEF, says that although there's been tremendous progress made over the last three decades and 76% of adults now get treatment in sub-Saharan Africa, only half of infected children are being treated. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yeheyes Wuhibi in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Jackson and Fungani, and our engineer, Cornelius Tanner, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.